This episode is brought to you by HP Instant Ink. No one is reading your mind, but HP Instant Ink knows when your printer is running low and sends new cartridges before you run out. So you never have to think about ink. For details, visit hp.com slash instant ink Spotify. Conditions apply. Frontline Gaming presents Red 40K Delaware. Stat Red Center Red with your host, Val Heffelfinger, Heffelfinger. and the Falcon. With the crisp fall air having arrived, we keep our hands warm and our beer cold when we koozie on up to the Iron Halo GT. And then we swirl in a counterclockwise direction all the way down under for our coverage of the Brisbane GT. And then we walk on down to Wedwalk in Wutah for a wonderful event. Finally, we round it all out with a delightful round of quick hitters for some of the other action we saw last weekend. Well, 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 I've forgotten where I am again, Steve. This is 40K Stat Center. Ah, oh, thank you for that, sir. What a beautiful man. What yeah. a gorgeous man. Steve Joel, everyone. I don't know if you know who he is. Steve Joel. Just the best. Steve. Just the best. Steve Joel. Um, yeah. yeah. He's uh, he's fabulous. You're fabulous. And holy shit, I swore on the show, it feels like the before times, like you've said in other places, doesn't it? And many times in the last few days. Yes, it does feel like the before times. Seven events, eight if you count Gibraltar, but who does nope. that? What a time to be alive. What a time to still be alive. We've come through that pandemic, <laughs> still in the heart of it, but for some reason we can play 40K again. Why not? Let's do it. Why not? Um, you know, something uh, also happened this past weekend, which probably brought, you know, some warmth to your heart, which is a good old-fashioned 40K freakout with Koozie Gate. Koozie Gate. I thought we could... Ba, 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 ba. Is there some kind of sound <laughs> oh, effect on. we can get in yeah, the Yeah, I got something like, uh, like, uh, like uh, this one. Koozie Gate. Koozie Gate. What an amazing, like, 10 minutes of my life when that first happened. My heart gremlin just was so excited. I was so excited. Oh, and then everyone had to ruin it. Yes. Yes. Had to ruin it with what? Exactly. <laughs> People got way too angry and way too serious, way too fast. Yes. I just wanted to laugh about how ridiculous something was, and then people made it personal. You, you know Ugh. what the real tragedy here is? is? The most ridiculous thing is a triple gargantuan squiggeth list going 3-0. and And... And then not going. And then not going. I mean, that is a threat. Like I, like I said on uh, on Stream Streak, um, on on the Forty K Jason show. Clearly, anyone running three gargantuan squiggets is is too pure and innocent for this world, and uh, and was just crushed uh, by, by the awful uh, needs of uh, traveling to a GT, which includes bringing your arm, yep. which is too bad. Or senile, possibly, possibly senile. senile, also an option. I did reach. I did yeah. reach out to the player. Um, he has not responded. Um, not sure if he has the internet, but nonetheless, do think it went a little too far on one side, um, and uh, maybe could have been handled a little bit better. But hey, we got our we got ourselves a little bit of a scandal, which is just mm, makes me feel alive. So for our listeners at home, just a brief breakdown to know what you were actually talking about. Iron Halo happened over the weekend, biggest event we've had in pretty much forever, probably the biggest event we're going to have for forever, um, and. Um, the big news that came out of day one, when people were looking at the 3-0 e event players, there was a fellow by the name of Mark Parker running orcs. He had three gargantuan squigots, a whole mess of smash-a-guns, 
it looked like a, a meme list, but uh, Mark is a well-known player from the Florida area, and he was carrying himself really well. Facebook, of course, social media, a post goes up indicating that um, he is using beer koozies as smasher guns. Joining the pantheon of 40K tournament proxies up there with Marshmallow, yes. Brimstones, Crystal. Uh, well, this is the second terrible proxy of uh, of, of mech guns. Uh, crystal mech guns also in Europe. Yeah, crystal mech guns. Uh, there was also the little trash can ones that uh, Tom Layton brought with little bushes on them. <laughs> so, like... Mech guns have definitely been like the way to go for terrible proxies. Absolutely. Um, in this situation, um, the player did, did actually own the models. Uh, the problem was that he left them at home, flew to Oklahoma, um, and was given kind of a big break by the TO or judges or whoever was involved in, in saying, hey, day one, you can proxy um, using whatever we can find, but day two, you have to bring some models. You can't take a paint score. And that was seemed to be what it was going to be. Unfortunately, um, I'm not sure if that's the best way to handle it. It's probably the most lenient way to handle it. Um, but a lot of drama caused after, afterwards when the pictures came out of like, this is what's happening at a big event. And um, then it kind of came out that, yes, he had been taking paint scores. He received a, a red card and was disqualified. Mm. Like, There's a whole lot we can get into about the rights and wrongs on any side of this equation. Um, what I will say is that in my personal opinion, this was the TO and judges being overly nice. There's another a number of different ways you can handle the situation mm -hmm. um, that were probably better. Um, and then I don't think that uh, Mark Parker, the senile old man or and beautiful soul that I hear he is intentionally did any of this. Um, yeah. But it is what it is. And because of what happened, it became like a really big shit sandwich mm -hmm. and Nobody could take it all in because it was just full of. I mean, it was a big bite. It was a big bite. And it was, and and so now we are where we are. He ended up getting DQ'd. He took a loss for his third game, and um, yeah, really kind of crappy way to end what for me was a super exciting, like I said, like first ten minutes of drama where I was like, this is great, and then it just like. Of course, somebody, and by that I mean like half of the world had to ruin. Yes, it. and I think you know some context is important, aka. Yo, guys, like we're in the middle of a pandemic. I can see why, you know, G why, why TOs may have been, you know, a little bit more accepting to allow the guy to run proxies. They probably thought this guy's running three gargantuan squiggiths. How serious can he be? Turns out really serious. Super serious. <laughs> but, you know, I can see why, you know, they edged lenient because, you know, it's a pandemic. We're lucky to even have a, a major to talk about today. Um, so, you know, uh, maybe we should chill, all chill a little bit. It is at the end, probably just super frustrating and sad for the guy. And then now, um, so anyway, lessons were learned, mistakes were made. I think we can move on from koozie gate. <clears throat> and, uh, now I'm going to, we're going to move all of our normal podcast plugin to the end of the episode, but next Tuesday at 12 PM British standard time. I assume it's still sorry British summertime. I assume it's still that summertime. Yeah, it's there. I don't so, know. Is that a time zone? I think that's the BS British summertime. I think that's what BST is. Look, it doesn't matter. Forty K Jason show on the Honest War Gamer. We are the two hundredth episode in a row. Rob Symes has been living on the internet since the since the plague began, and mm -hmm. we get to do the two hundredth episode. So everyone tune in yep. live or listen to it. It's fantastic. It's 100% a Johnny Mnemonic situation going on now with Rob Symes. Um, he has become the internet, um, and we are excited to be along for the ride. 100%. Uh, 
Okay, let's take this as a chance to hit up a bumper that we haven't heard since the before time. Crack open those spreadsheets, nerds. Because it's time to put the stats in Stats Center. Courtesy of 40kstats.com. I have heard you uh, talking a little bit about how you've, you feel like your sample size is getting up to, uh, to scale. Perhaps required to maybe comment more generally on what the... Uh, as Goonhammer uh, calls the first act of the ninth edition meta. What are your thoughts now that you've uh, sort of ground out how many games? 2,000? 2,000 plus? Uh, about just shy of 2,000 unique games. We're looking at about 3,500 um, games of 40K. So about 1,750 in total um, for unique games. Um, and we're starting, like, at this point, you can really see, for the majority of factions, kind of where they lay. Mm -hmm. um, there are a few of the lesser-played guys that uh, are up and down week to week because, you know, nobody's really running them. But, like, for the big the big guns, we, we, can, we know. We know where they're at now. And um, for some factions, it's definitely a have versus have-not um, situation. In the past, we would often see, you know, like a, a large block in that that forty-five to fifty-five percent win rate, and there wasn't much outside of mm -hmm. that, uh, which was generally very healthy. Now that range is about thirty-five to sixty. There's a whole lot of guys near that sixty range. There's a whole lot of guys down at that thirty-five, and it's uh, and and that's really where we're at. So like the the ultra competitive part of the scene does have a lot of factions uh, that can win events that are showing that they can pull off events um, and are statistically like very consistent with it. But there's also a lot of guys that are consistently at the bottom of the barrel. Okay. Unfortunately for a lot, craft world Eldar is on that list, which means we have to deal with that situation. This might be like, guys, like look at your watch, circle the day in the calendar where it was announced that Eldar suck right now. Like that's, that's that's a unique thing in our in our lifetime. I mean, I'm finally agreeing. With Eldar player has said for probably the last six years, no matter what results were coming in, um, Craft World Eldar now look like they suck. Officially, suck. Um, we've really only had. Yeah, they're at about a 37% win rate. They're the lowest of any faction that has any kind of consistent amount of data. Um, they've only had, I believe, two players get past the second round. Um, before getting their first loss, one of which happened at Iron Halo with Cullen Burns. And um, yeah, they are, they're not doing good, guys. Uh, uh, the Asuriani, Craft World Eldar, um, they're really looking to their big brothers, the Harlequins, um, for any kind of support they can get at this point. All right, so before we get to the topper end of things, uh, what, what, what jumps out? at you from you know the stats as they are right now is there anything is there anyone really standing out as surprising you i think for me there aren't a lot of surprises um, coming into the ninth edition i had some knee-jerk reactions and then i had some more thoughtful reactions and out of my more thoughtful uh reactions i think most factions are lining up where i thought they would be eldar are definitely lower than i expected um, you know, down near that bottom. Orcs are higher, like much higher than I expected, although I did think they would actually perform very well. Mm -hmm. um, and then I would say Admech are a, are a bit of a surprise in that a lot of people thought they would be a tier one army. It can perform if you watch a lot of like Art of War or Tabletop Titans mm -hmm. um, that, you know, at a high level, they seem to be able to. Mm -hmm. But up until recently, we'd gotten almost no good results out of them. Uh, they're sitting at about a 
49% win rate, which isn't super fantastic. But their T-whip and average first-round loss are actually relatively good. Um, they have had a couple of uh, top performances from players that have gotten to 4-0. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're sitting at about a, a round 2, like a 2.0, 2.1 uh, for first loss, which is generally what we would see from a, a, a balanced army, not really a, an A-tier or an S-tier faction like a lot of people thought they would be. Yeah. Is it possible that they just don't have, you know, their their standard bearer, that there isn't that that real that bleeding edge player really uh, picking them up to to play with, or is it just maybe they're underperforming expectations? I mean, that's very likely. I know that Richard Siegler's talked a lot about how they would be the faction he would be playing um, in this edition if he was going to events, mm-hmm. and um, so just like with Tau, where we last last edition we had a lot of really good performances out of a very small handful of people mm-hmm. that was kind of carrying them at, at the top end. It's it's very possible that Admech would be the same way, and they just don't have that yet. Uh, Reggie Sanchez put up some decent results at Iron Halo with a list that I think is absolutely devastating, mm-hmm. um, but he did, I think, end up going 4-1 and one when it was all said and done. Or 4-2, and two, I should right. say. So it's they're not quite there yet and maybe maybe they just need that guy maybe Siegler needs to get out of that weird little trap house of his and and put up a result somewhere T whip is near and dear to my heart so have you got enough there to start talking about uh factions from the perspective of getting into a position to actually win the tournament and how broad is that category there are a lot of of uh, factions that have at least gotten one or two results in in that uh, in that T whip range I would say that on the very top end, we have uh, statistically significant results. It's the middle to bottom side that we really aren't sure about yet. Mm -hmm. Um, But on the top end, Salamander's definitely rocking out. They're sitting at about a 16% T-whip. It's about a a three to one ratio uh, when you compare it to their percentage of the field. They make up about 5% of lists that we've seen. Oh, wow. That's a big spread. Yeah. 16% 16% of the of the of uh, the lists that get to 4-0 are salamanders. Um the next one in the list is a surprise when you look at the rest of their statistics and that's Death Guard. So Death Guard have a win rate of about 48%, so they're well below that that mid-range yep. um for other factions. They make up uh just shy of 13%, actually just over 13% of lists that have gone 4-0 though. So while they do have a lot of players that are you know, bottoming out one and four, two and three, they, they do have a handful that have figured them out and are making them work. So let's round out that top three at T-Whip. Who's, uh, who's the bronze on the podium? The bronze on the podium is a, is a bit of a draw. We have space wolves, orcs, and harlequins all sitting at about an 8%. Um, and that's fascinating for me, at least from a space wolf perspective, because they're also another faction where their win rate, I mean, it's fine. It's in that 50% margin. Mm -hmm. But it's not crazy like we're seeing out of Harlequins and Orcs, where they're they're really showing up in in all metrics. Yeah. Uh, Space Wolves uh, definitely are sitting there from a like a, a just a handful of dudes really pulling it off. Um, the uh, West Coast Titans GT that happened this weekend was won by Space Wolves. We're going to be talking to Johan Nikolaisen um, next week yep. as well. And uh, yeah, well, so like Space Wolves, the wolf time seems to be coming finally after being one of the worst and the worst faction for the majority of 8th edition. That's fantastic. Of course, I love my boys in green, uh, outperforming expectations, which has been spoken to in a lot of different places. And I think maybe the disparity between the broader stats of win-loss and T-Whip maybe is just comes down to sample size at this point. It's very It's very possible. Um, there haven't been enough events where I want to be super firm um, going past that first, you know, two or three factions. But hopefully 
in the next few weeks, battle for him up as mm -hmm. well. We do have the new Necron and Space Wolf codexes coming yep. out, and I, I imagine that they will drastically change um, how we perceive the meta. Because Decrons are probably right at the bottom of that totem pole right now. They are. They're in that bottom five, and uh, Marines being in the top um, with multiple factions. Um, it'll be interesting to see where they shake out once they've got some new toys or have uh, seen a little bit of toning down in some respects. Well, I think that's a good little stats update. So, without further ado, why don't we hit a bump and check out the coverage of the Iron Halo GT. Tournament news is made possible by bestcoastpairings.com. Download the BCPTO app to organize events for just about any tabletop game system. Download the player app to easily find and participate in events from around the world. Around the world. Subscribe to BCP for as little as $5 a month to support the team and unlock additional features available for iOS and Android. Bestcoastpairings.com. Competitive events. Easier. Ooh. If I recall, Pete, this time last year, we were singing a little ditty. We were. Because we're swinging off down to OK Oklahoma, Bartlesville. That's all out of order, but you can unscramble it in your imaginations. That's right. It was the Iron Halo GT, 108 players, hopefully socially distancing properly, and playing our first major of COVID? No. Yeah. yeah. Well, no, it's, it is our second. second. Uh, biggest Flying Monkey Con was the of course. It, this is the biggest, uh, maybe the only one to break 100 players. And yes, um, I'm not sure about social distancing, not sure if you can even control it when there's that many bodies. But we do know that uh, masks uh, were mandatory Good. at the event and um, that temperature checks were done um, for people as they entered the building. Love it. I talked to some of the people on the ground. They said it was very well handled yeah. by the TO and the judges in that mm -hmm. regard. So really, we take what we can get. We hope for the best. And uh, really appreciating the uh, civilized way it seems these tournaments are uh, being approached by the participants. I've, I've not heard of any uh, big blowups, which is great. Yeah, not heard a, a huge amount of hullabaloo unless you like beer koozies. Unless you like beer koozies, which we've covered in detail back in the intro. So this is, of course, part of the Lord Marshall series. The finale. And uh, can be caught on Lord Marshall TV on Twitch. Yep, some excellent coverage. Um, Lord Marshall, Jason, and the crew there, they do a great job of getting guest hosts from different podcasts and uh, like uh, and analysts uh, to give their, their ideas on what's happening on the tabletop. They also mic the players. It's uh, generally a, a really well-run machine. Um, the a couple of the rounds were, I think, actually very well put together. The Adam Abramowitz, Adam Camilleri hour mm -hmm. was, um, in particular, a very exciting game to watch. That was uh, an ad mech uh, matchup versus, oof, uh, Chaos Demons. It's always a pleasure to listen to my two favorite Adams um, on any show, let alone uh, actually talking about my favorite thing, which is 40K. Well, hey. That's a lot of happiness for Pete, um, and we want to limit his exposure to happiness because we need him to record stats. Mm, it's true. You need, I need to be in the worst doldrums possible in order to accomplish any kind of <laughs> statistical goals. Okay, so getting into the nitty-gritty of it, uh, where do you want to take it from here? Well, what have we said so far? 108 players, a whole bunch, six rounds, some of the best players from the southern to midwest region of the U.S. were in attendance. A lot of Brohammer showed up from Florida. Mm -hmm. uh, a few Team Texas members were in attendance. Good. 
you know, the the Midwest stalwarts. We had Ben Sherwin there running Black Templar, Dan Sammons, who up until that point was something ridiculous like 27, 28, and 0 yeah. um, in the ITC. In fact, at this point, he is number one in the ITC, even with the Iron Halo um, results uh, in, put in place. So a lot of good players. John Lennon showed up from the Brohammer house, as did Mark Perry. Just like a really solid major event in terms of participation. Okay. The majority of the field were Space Marines. I believe it was just shy of 50% were wearing some kind of power armor, followed next up by Custodes running at about 10% of the field. It was, um, I think, a pretty interesting picture of where the game is at right now, at least on this side of the pond. Considering we're all playing the same game now, would you say Iron Halo is a good sample of you know what you'd expect from you know um, a major if we were in the normal times? I think it mostly is. There are definitely always going to be little things that uh, separate um, some of these majors out from others in terms of just like geolocation. Um, certain factions are, are definitely more popular overseas than they are here. So things like Chaos Demons may not show up as much um, or in the same forms as we would get in other places. Same with Orcs, for example. Orcs didn't have that huge of a showing at Iron Halo. Um, whereas if you take a look at our Aussie brethren, they're all over the place. So it's there are some slight differences, but I think overall, yes, this this was a, a a good picture of where things are. Okay, cool. So why don't we get on over to that top table? Uh, you mentioned uh, Dan Sammons mm-hmm. uh, versus our boy John Lennon in all white linen. Uh, sounds like a pretty good clash of titans, considering uh, Dan Sammons has been a bit of an unstoppable force these days, meeting the immovable object. That is 100-pound John Lennon. <laughs> That's true, yes. So John and and Dan were kind of my two picks for the probable winners of the event. Um, I was leaning more towards John pulling it off, but Dan had quite the exceptional list. He was running um, Sisters of Battle mixed with Salamanders this okay. time. So he took all of that like amazing uh, mid-to-short-range shooting that Salamanders provide, along with that extra durability, and mixed in just a whole whack load of Sisters Repentia and Seraphim. So he's basically taking the best units from both codexes, slapping them together, and making an extremely efficient killing machine. And he's up against um, probably mixed with Harlequins, like the top finesse army in the game, um, in, in white scars. So it, it was, a it was a very interesting matchup. Before we get over to, uh, to the, the John Lennon side of the equation, why don't we swing on by Dan, Som- Dan Sammons's office, uh, for some thoughts on his uh, list adjustments. Hey guys, thanks for having me on again. Uh, after flying monkey con, uh, especially after that last game where it was Salamanders versus Salamander successor, uh, I, gain a new appreciation for how strong ignoring AP1 was. So I uh, kind of delved into that a little bit more. I uh, did some test games and, and decided I wanted to stick with pure Salamanders. Uh, I also knew I kind of wanted to do something with Imperium. Just I like to mix it up and try to come up with some little different combos rather than just pure Space Marines, for example. Uh, so I did some a little bit of uh, Dojo with... Uh, salamanders and admech and then i tested out salamanders and custodes for a while and then about two weeks before the event uh, i finally decided to stick with uh, salamanders and sisters Uh, one of the things that i noticed from playing my games at monkey is although i had a lot of you know ranged firepower and was able to you know shoot people off objectives uh, 
I wasn't didn't really have much for a reliable melee threat to charge onto objective, and kill your opponent off of it, and then and take control of that objective. So that was where the Repentia came in, uh, especially with Miracle Dice. You know, being able to basically ensure that a charge. Um, that's that's why I went that by that direction with them, uh, and it did work out. There was a lot of, a lot of times uh, over the weekend that. I was able to charge with the Repentia, kill people off the objectives, take the objective, and then start swinging primary points uh, away from my opponent and back in my favor. In, in terms of the Salamander portion of it, you know, I left the scouts in the list. Um, you know, they're in, having infiltrators is incredibly useful for any time you're playing <clears throat> playing against people with nerglings or you know any any sort of infiltrate spam to be able to zone out part of the board from them. Uh, the Blade Garter, obviously, you know, insane. And then I put in a three Eradicator units and two Grav Devs and a Relic Scorpius. Uh, the three Eradicators was a little overkill. I just was running out of time and uh, before the event, and three models seemed easier to paint. Uh, I definitely would have probably tweaked it a little bit and not taken uh, three. I could, probably could have gotten away with two. Uh, the Grav Devs, uh, I wanted to get use out of those just before the new book comes out because I have a feeling they're going to get toned down. And then the uh, Relic Scorpius, um, it's... A very expensive but very strong piece if the train is heavy enough and the train at halo turned out to be pretty heavy heavier than i expected it to be so it uh it was a, a good addition to the list uh, as far as mvps for the weekend uh i would probably you know if i don't count the last game uh my scorpius was uh definitely one of my mvps it, it never died the whole weekend uh generally with master artisans and the occasional captain sitting nearby it it was able to put uh pretty pretty brutal pressure on my opponents uh and just that thing firing twice twice a turn for five turns um it really can usually rack up quite a bit of damage uh probably the other one that i would want to mention is the serpentia uh miracle dice plus the uh <laughs> you know i don't know if they've ever failed a charge in in the six months that i've been using them but it's uh it's very in a game of dice and randomness it's it's incredibly strong to be able to to guarantee something so their pencha every single game uh they did work there was only one game out of the five uh where i didn't have the miracle dice that i wanted um but i got a little lucky in that game my opponent had some harlequin bikes uh right near my board edge and so he got to experience the strategic reserve straight into to melee uh little combo and and that was pretty satisfying to do uh otherwise the the list kind of did what it was supposed to do and you know we'll see what the new marine book does but i'm sure there will be some tweaks to be had and, and some new new interesting lists to come up with which i'm looking forward to so going into the finals against uh, john's white scars uh i kind of had a feeling that no matter uh if he won the role to go first uh that he would take second turn and I kind of wanted to go first uh, just to be able to bring my reserves on faster since I pretty much had half my army off the board. Uh, so in that sense, is I put my scouts uh, on two of the objectives in, in no man's land with the intention that I'm probably going first. I'll be able to cap those objectives uh, and then and then move off of them, therefore forcing John to uh, send something physically over there to take it away from me. Uh, and then after deployment, he really only had one of his land speeders that was kind of in, in range of that, barring some of the double move, other tricks that they can do. Um, so I, I figured if I had 
uh, killed that land speeder, it would have taken John more resources than he would have been comfortable to go over there and actually get that objective off of me. Uh, as it turns out, the Scorpius double shooting left the land speeder alive at one wound, and and uh, I had to fight a lot harder for that side of the board than I was initially planning on. Uh, and then the other other aspect going to the match, I knew that I have kind of the ranged uh, ranged advantage with with eradicators and and my grav and my mainly my Scorpius. Uh, so I wanted to make sure that, you know, he was not able to get anything on my Scorpius. I mean, I don't know how many billions of inches those grav rhinos guy, guys move, but I wanted to do everything I could to make sure those guys were taken out, which I did turn one. Uh, in doing so, though, I dropped my pod a little too close to his plasma scepter, so I totally forgot existed as they were in one of the buildings in the back. Uh, and he, he made me pay for that dearly. So um, as far as anything I would have done differently... Uh, I probably would have done everything the same. Um, I would have probably loaded uh, loaded my left flank with uh, one of my extra blade guardians just to you know make sure I could clean that up easier for uh, a contingency plan if the Scorpius fails to kill the storm, which is I didn't really have uh, didn't really consider that. I just assumed it was going to die. And on the other flank, I probably would have uh, pulled my rhino or my not rhino my uh, drop pod back a couple inches. Uh, just to ensure that it was, you know, closer to my deployment zone by a little bit, you know, maybe shot his outriders and shot his impulsor off, uh, but left the drop pod close enough to my deployment zone that so when Repentia come on, I could charge anything on it and probably kill him. Uh, but, you know, you're playing somebody like John Lennon, who well, lives in Breeze 40K and is an excellent player. You know, it's it comes down. You really can't make a mistake. And I definitely made a little mistake, and and that's where the the game kind of I don't want to say it ended, but it became an uphill battle very quick. So, but he's an excellent player, and I look forward to seeing him on the tabletop again. Thank you, Dan, for your insights to your uh, to your experiences out there at the Iron Halo. Now we'll uh, we'll go over to John Lennon. He's a well known player out there. Has he been very active? I know he's he's in the he's in the flop house, the trap house down in Florida with some other. Uh, notable american players um has he been able to get out to any tournaments yet he's shown up to a, a number of rtts uh since the end times but um for the most part he stayed relatively quiet like a lot of a lot of people um florida has managed to put together a, a few showings and and john has definitely made his way to them he was number three in the itc last year he's sitting around i believe eight or nine in the itc this year not that that really even matters at this point given where we are but um, it does kind of show his um, his capabilities on the table. All right. So famously at the LVO, I think there was a, a lot of pre-tournament shenanigans, a lot of subterfuge, a lot of play counterplay, and uh, sort of head faked old Nick Netavati into going white scars. And here we are, John Lennon running white scars. What do we think of his list? What's going on there? I do. I mean, let's just get out and say it. John did win the event. Um, as I said, he was my favorite to pull it off. White Scars are an incredibly diverse army. In the right hands, they're absolutely devastating. John's been playing them uh, pretty frequently over in the trap house. So it does not shock me at all um, that he would come out on top against Dan. Not that Dan is a bad player. They definitely played their butts off. Like we said, you can watch it on stream. Um, but... John's uh, really got the game down when it comes to White Scars. He's got the reps in. He knows how to wait out his opponent's big hits and then come back smashing, come that round three when they activate. So let's cut it to John and me while we chit-chat 
about his time at Iron Halo and just how well those little boys of Chagoras did. Hey, 40K fans, it's your bird, the Falcon. I'm coming to you recorded and in color with the one, the only, the new reigning Iron Halo champion, John Cougar Mellencamp Lennon. How are you doing today, buddy? Hello, hello. I'm doing pretty well. How are you doing, Fox? Uh, I'm I'm living the dream. It's a little early in the morning for me. It was a little early in the morning when I went to bed. So um, I'm as about as coherent as I'm ever going to be. How does it feel? How does it feel to be the winner of the biggest major of the year so far? Uh, it feels pretty good. Um, it's a little bit sad that it's the biggest major of the year. Um, but you know what? Winning a major never feels bad. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. And I, I will say I had you at about what, four to one odds to win this whole thing. Um, you were you were my pick. Uh, Dan Salmon's coming in second. So mm-hmm. no shock to me as to how things progressed. Let's get into it. Can you tell me a little bit about your list? How did it play out? What were you doing? What did you bring? Yeah, absolutely. So this was a, um, a White Scar Battalion. <clears throat> um, obviously, this is with the current codex, not the new one. And um, I had three HQs. I had Corsair O'Connor, a jump captain with the Teeth of Terra, and a jump pack chaplain uh, that Teeth of Terra... Teeth of Terror Captain was my Warlord, and he had a bunch of Warlord traits to give him a lot of extra attacks. He ends up with 9 plus D3 on the charge, so he slaps. Mm-hmm. Uh, troops, I had two units of Scouts with accompanying Land Speeder Storms, and then a unit of five Intercessors with Auto Bolt Rifles. Moving on to Elites, I have two units of three Blade Guard and a Judiciar. Fast Attack is uh, two units of Outriders, as well as one unit of Plasma Inceptors. I went for the full six-man there. And then uh, heavy support, we've got two units of Devastators with Max Bravcans and Cherubs. And finally, I've got a Impulsor with uh, the um, Shield Dome and a single Rhino. What's your main strategy with this list? It looks like, uh, like a really well-balanced uh, mix of melee and shooting um, and just absolutely uh, added in that incredible White Scar speed. So what are you doing here? So kind of the goal of the army is to take advantage of the fact that I have a lot of dedicated transports for just the most I've ever played with. And um, I can really get my army down to a very low profile because um, like at the end of the day, if I deep strike the Inceptors, the list becomes four transports, you know, a couple characters and an intercessor squad sitting on a backfield objective, and that's the list. Mm-hmm. And that means that I can very easily hide and play conservatively early on and use my speed in the mid-game to kind of reach, actually reach the opponent. So really the game plan is try to hide for a turn, maybe do a little chip damage as necessary, and then uh, I really just uh, try to start harassing them turn two and connect in combat turn three. And by that point, I'm usually taking over objectives, uh, racking up a good primary, and that that kind of plan builds into my uh, secondary mission pretty well because, you know, by the time I start spreading the table, just sending some harassing units around, I'm getting a lot of points on engaged all fronts. And I've got a lot of opportunity to deploy some scramblers. Are you using any kind of jank, any kind of really cool strat combos to, to really go off on opponents? Or is this a game-to-game decision? Yeah, so, um, I mean, obviously everything's going to be game-to-game, but the most commonly used jank, I would say, is uh, lightning debarkation. Um, that's a 1CP White Scar strat. I honestly, I think it's the best stratagem that White Scars have. And it lets you move a transport and then disembark after you do so. And so that even if you advance on like an Impulsor, you can just um, you can just get out. And you can't charge if you do so, but you can still shoot or perform actions and move and advance and do everything besides charge as normal. So the best ways that I use this is the Lane Speeder Storms can move 18 
and then I disembark scouts, then the scouts move, then they deploy a scrambler. So I can go 27 Mm -hmm. inches to deploy a scrambler. That's very easily, I go from my deployment zone to the opponent's deployment zone really whenever I want and just deploy a scrambler there. Or I put those OPSEC scouts on an objective and sometimes I do both. Um, It's it's quite entertaining and and I do it a lot. As well on the Rhino, um, I can move and advance the Rhino, then disembark the dev squad and then they move in advance and then I spend a command point so that they can shoot their heavy weapons as if they're assault. And I can get a really long threat range out of um, moving the rhino around. So if I just move a rhino, disembark, move the squad, and you know advance them and then shoot, the threat range of that ends up being, I want to say, 58 inches. However, uh, uh, White Scars do also have a strategy to double move a unit. And if I use it on the rhino, the theoretical threat range becomes 76 inches of how far can I move and shoot this grab squad. So you're easily going corner to corner to hit something if you absolutely need to in, in like a dire situation. Exactly. Where, where something like a drop pod can be tagged or can be screened out, and I, I don't like to rely on that, um, the Grav Rhino uh, can just, it can reach whatever I need. So Iron Halo is a, a six-round event held in Bartlesville, Oklahoma. Um, what did you feel about the event while you were there? I know we talked a little bit last week about your prep for it uh, on 40K Today, but um, once you were there, once you actually saw it in person, what were you, what are your thoughts? The train was great. Um, it was a very nice, uh, spacious location with a lot of room between tables, which obviously is wonderful right now. Um, the biggest thing was just that the train was very high quality and there's a lot of ruins. Once I got into the venue, or more specifically, a friend got there and started sending me pictures, I immediately felt a lot more comfortable because I was actually seeing the terrain level. Um, I hadn't heard anything bad, but, you know, the first time you go to an event, you're always a little bit nervous, like, oh, man, what if I round one, I play on table 67 and there's, you know, one tree. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. Yeah. You know, you always you always got that feeling. So, yeah, um, yeah I was very glad to see that that wasn't going to be a problem. Um, and then the field was a little different than I had anticipated. Um, you know, everyone is kind of expecting a lot of space marines, but there was specifically a lot of custodes and a lot of blood angels, which I hadn't really been planning on. Um, and, and that... That was fine. Um, I, I feel like I played very well into Custodes, but Blood Angels are an army that I consider more challenging than average. The Blood Angels are in a very interesting spot right now where they are getting a lot of uh, press, I would say, from the top-end players, but th- we're not seeing the results yet on the table. A couple people have put up some four-and-ones, but but nothing like overly exciting yet. Um, but yeah, I mean, as a mostly close combat army, as somebody that wants to get into close combat as well is probably something that you have to think about um, a little bit uh, harder than anybody else. So you play through these six rounds, you beat all your opponents, uh, and then you end up in the final against Dan Sammons, um, who had just won the Flying Monkey Con. He's, at, I think at this point um, in the event, he's like 32-0 and 0 in tournament play. Um, he's running Salamanders uh, with an addition of uh, basically Sisters Repentia uh, for some extra close combat might. What are your thoughts going into that game? Um, it was a very interesting match. Um, I, I just knew that it was really going to come down to I have to make sure that I'm playing my style and I can't let Dan play his. Because uh, if you look at his list, um, there is there is a, so much power in that. Like you take the most powerful sister units, you take just Repentia with no tax units, no chaff, and then you just take Salamanders and you just take the most powerful units. Again, very little tax, very little chaff. It, it's just like he took like the damage dealing aspect of two competitive armies and just put it all together into I do even more damage. And obviously, you know, that worked very well. He, he got to 5-0. and But I was like, all right, well, my plan with Salamanders is I can't, you know, just fight them 
in gen- like, you know, had on because they have more power than me. <laughs> Sisters and Salamanders, the power was just, it was outclassing me by so much. I'm just like, well, there's just no reason to even try. Like, I, I, I can't just box with him. Like, if I just step in the ring and just punch him while he punches me back, I'm losing in about two turns. Um, yeah, you- so re- really, it was just, um, you know, right from the beginning, it was about, you know, how am I going to position to make sure that I'm always the one punching and running before he punches me back. Uh, sig- I am significantly faster than him. And again, the fact that I've got a lot more transports does help with uh, the the getting charged part as well. The Judiciary, just all the little tech pieces that I had all really, really came in clutch here. Um, you know, because I was able to screen out for a couple of turns. Um, famously, I'm, I'm sure if you watch the game, you noticed um, uh, he brought his drop pod in turn one and uh, killed my grab rhino, which is something that I've hyped up a lot as being a great tool piece. And it certainly would have been nice to have. But he did kill it immediately, um, and I kind of put it in a spot where he had the option to kill it. I actually didn't think he was going to, um, but I put it in a spot where if I went first, if he made me go first, I was going to be able to like advance into a ruin and actually be kind of safe. And then mm-hmm. I and I have like the grab position very far forward. Um, a Scorpius is not very good at killing a Rhino without um, having Doctrines or all the rerolls that, that it normally has. So I was like, okay, this is a safe play, but I'm like, all right, what if he pods me turn one? I'm like, all right, he probably won't, but... If he does, I'm just going to set up to make sure that the pod can only go on in this small window. And if he does that, I'll just tag it and it'll be fine. Um, he did go for it. And sure enough, um, I was able to get my army to the, the grab pod very quickly. And then um, I used an impulsor to charge it as well to kind of provide the screens that were pinched out of reserves and weren't going to go hit the interceptors. And I kind of used that just as like an anchor while I waited for all those reserves to arrive. And that was really useful. Yeah, I was going to say that was a big turning point in that game because, um, like, like you said, like Dan's list is so lean. It's so, it's so heavy hitting. I mean, everything you described is essentially how Muhammad Ali fought uh, George Foreman way back in the 60s, um, except now you're looking at Warhammer. So it's two super out of shape dudes uh, punching it out instead. Um, so you come out, he, he drops that pod, and immediately I, th- I thought it was a poor decision. Drop pods are easily tagged. So y- it definitely gave you a lot of free reign the rest of that game to just bounce in and out of that drop pod to hit other units then fall back into it so were there any other big points in that game any other turning points any times where you were like "Ooh, i don't know if i'm going to be able to pull this off because of something that happened or was it kind of smooth sailing once you got that drop pod in effect i was very confident as soon as i as soon as the drop pod was down i weathered the first shooting i took some losses but i thought i had plenty left um Mm -hmm. really what i what i i felt was that all right, it's going to be two turns of nothing happening while I wait for all his reserves to land. And now I just need to watch his decision-making and I'll be able to get the final say on reacting to this. I was going second, you know, so I, I had bottom of turn. I had to uh, grind them down. So I was going for the Killmores having, you know, knowing exactly what I had to do. And then it was just a very simple, like, all right, I'm just going to wait and see. And once every reserve was down, then I left the pod and actually started pushing up the upfield and, you know, left the room that I'd been hiding in. Um, and that's when I actually started playing with him. And... Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> Uh, so I, I kind of felt like it was going to be, all right, it's going to be two turns of literally nothing happening where I'm just killing ex- what's like already in front of me and just engaging the drop pod. And then after that, his reserves come in and I have three turns to go win the game. Um, fortunately, though, as a white scar player, uh, starting on turn three is the best time for me to start because yeah. reserves all came in right as I was switching into Assault Doctrine. So it was already a good time for me to be making that push. So that that plan kind of came together very well. So with that being said, can you uh, tell me, like, was there a unit that overperformed for you? Did you have, like, an MVP at the event, something that just kind of carried uh, way more than its weight? Yeah, um, that was the Plasma Scepters. Um, the, the, the kill Kelly that the Plasma Scepters got was absolutely insane. Um, 
uh, on game one and six, both of those ended up with um, them touching a drop pod turn one. And from that point on, they were just falling back and shooting or recharging every single turn. Um, so they were they weren't getting targeted. They were just doing massive weight. Um, I killed. Um, I think I flew forward, killed two falcons in one turn, and then charged and blew up a um, a star weaver. That that's literally one turn. I killed three vehicles against uh, Eldar round two. Um, they killed nine paladins in one turn against gray knights. Um, <laughs> yeah, not, I'm, it, it's exactly what it sounds like. Um, the inceptors were just doing massive damage the entire time. Um, same situation against Adamek. I, I think I killed. You know, a squad of chicken walkers. I killed uh, one of the, the flyers, the archaeopters, uh, and I killed uh, a unit of uh, breachers. Again, that was in the span of two turns. Um, they, they were just obscene. Just the, the whole weekend. Uh, the inceptors were my favorite part of the list um, over the weekend. Like you know, which is funny because I, I've had a lot of games where they don't do much, but this one they they really felt like they did a lot. Well, John, thanks so much for coming on the show with me. Um, it's always a pleasure to hear from you. Uh, folks, if you're listening, buy a box of Plasma Inceptors. Buy three. If you run Death Watch, I think you can buy like eight, and you'll probably still be able to make a good list out of it. Um, is there anything you wanted to plug before I let you go? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, if you enjoyed my voice for some reason, uh, you can find me with The Art of War. Uh, we're a premium coaching service as well as a free content creator. So you can find us on twitch.tv slash AOW40K or at theartofwar40k.com. Uh, as well, I do have my own podcast, and that is Florida Man 40K. You can find us on Facebook, YouTube, iTunes, all the places where you can find a podcast. Awesome. Well, thanks a lot again, and you have a good one. All right. Thank you. All right. Thank you, uh, Pete, for putting that interview together, and especially thank you to John Lennon for taking the time to chat with us. I think that wraps up our coverage of the Iron Halo GT. And now it's time to... Go upside down, but before that, let's hit a bump. Tournament news. Hey guys, this is John Lennon, Daniel Smith, and Jimmy Prescott with Florida Man 40K and Team Brohammer, and you're listening to 40K Stat Center. I'm still the best. Still the best. Best in the business, but that's neither here nor there because we are everywhere. We are in Brisbane, Australia. What's going on down under? Yes, so last week we chose not to cover this event because we wanted to give it its its actual due, and that's the Brisbane GT. It was a 40-ish-odd player event that happened in, you guessed it, Brisbane, Australia, and featured some of the top players from, from this side of an Outback Steakhouse. All right, so what makes this tournament a big deal, Pete? Why are we even talking about it? Well, when it comes to Australia, there are a number of players that we always like to see show up at events. And um, up until now, because of COVID yep. and everything else that we've been experiencing, we really haven't seen a lot of those guys all show up in the same place. So it was just a really cool scene to have Eric Lathuris, um, Hayden Walduck, Liam Hackett, um, all the boys from the Normal Blo Blokes podcast all get together for a big event like this. Um, it was, as we keep saying, a murderer's row. I don't know if there's another uh, metaphor that we can use, sound less dumb. We're working on it. But that's what it is. It was just a lot of excellent players put together in one spot and putting on a heck of a show. Um, anyone you want to highlight? A big highlight here for me would be Eric Lathuris, who had one of the first big showings for Tyranids that we've seen in Ninth mm -hmm. Edition. Tyranids have long been considered kind of a, the bottom tier, um, along with Gene Steeler cults, because they really didn't come into this edition um, with, the, with tools that would help them in the mission. Now, it, what has he done? Because I know in 8th, he was also kind of one of the rare guys 
having success with with Tyranids. He was running like a Termagant carpet, uh, just an insane amount of models. Uh, what mm-hmm. was he doing a little bit differently here? Nothing. That is exactly <laughs> what he decided to do. Because um, as we've kind of talked about in the past with the success of orcs in this edition, there is something to be said for saying, if I put 200 models on the board and everybody's trying to only kill 30 elite ones, I'm probably going to win all my games. Mm. And that's really what happened. Um, he went four and one. He only uh, took one loss. He was running, I believe, just shy of 200 Termagants and Hormagants, along with multiple Broodlords, Old One-Eye, and some Venomthropes. Um, like, the whole plan of the list is to just uh, overwhelm your opponent in bodies and using that synapse to keep them around longer um, so you can just win the objective game. And then he's got a number of uh, Acolyte units with Hand Flamers and Rock Saws. Um, that are just there to kind of add some extra smash to free up those Termagants so they can keep hopping on objectives over and over and over again as the game progresses. I believe he suffered his first loss in round four. A lot of people thought he might even make it to the top table. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, unfortunately, I believe he hit a wall with Admech. Um, and Admech are one of the factions that if they get the chance to shoot you, they can blow up 200 models in a couple of turns. Um, and that that was really where his uh, his game plan ended. But still, excellent showing from Eric, showing that uh, that Nids do at least have one list that can be played competitively. Um, Liam Hackett also had a really good showing at four and one with Astra Militarum. Not orcs. Yeah, he decided to drop those orcs in favor of some demolisher tank cannons and um, reserved plasma veterans. It's uh, once again a carpet list, 120 guard bodies backed up by tank commanders in this mm-hmm. case. Same idea, though. Flood the board, take objectives, and just keep putting guys on them as they die, which is very fluffy for how Astro Militarum play in the in the lore as well. Absolutely. And just continues to blow my mind that the place where it is probably the most expensive to play this game, they only run the highest possible model counts. <laughs> it's true. It's just beautiful. Okay, so you uh, you actually have a nice long-form form, uh, conversation that uh, that you had with the eventual winner. Why don't you set up that clip? Sure. So Dan Savage would be the one to uh, take the event. He is part of the Art of War Down Under team. He's uh, just like a joy to talk to. If anyone ever has the chance, his insights into Chaos Demons are excellent. Let's cut to Dan and get his full experience on how he plays the list and how it did at the event. How are you doing today, Dan? Not too bad, mate. How are you? Oh, man, I'm, I'm living the dream. <laughs> Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Uh, well, I'm Dan Savage. I'm currently playing under uh, Art of War Down Under. Um, I have been playing Chaos for quite a long time. I've dabbled in other armies and blasphemous as it is, but I've always come back to Chaos and uh, it's great to you know, see a tournament win out of them now. And a huge shout out to the normal blokes who put on that tournament. Um, it's great to see some gaming going down. Yeah, I mean, Denise and the guys, they look like they put on quite the show. And uh, kudos to you for, you know, putting up with Adam and all those guys on Out of War Down Under, because I don't think I could. <laughs> um, bunch of wankers to me. But uh, how long have you been playing this game of champions? I actually started out in fantasy. Oh. So um, I was doing all the guest ranges for cannons and things like that. And then yeah. uh, eventually lost the uh, when square bases went out. I trans- transitioned over to 40k. 
and had a very tough learning curve. And then I was like, oh, I'm starting to get this space game. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, everything shoots. This is amazing. Oh, man. And then I've gone back to an army that doesn't shoot. So I can't, can't yeah. knock the fantasy out of me. Listen, I, I feel you. I'm, I'm in the exact same boat. I was a fantasy guy. I've talked about it many times. Um, Age of Sigmar, when it first came out, broke my heart. But uh, <laughs> man. You, you and me both, mate. <laughs> <laughs> Just this last weekend, I mean, we've kind of already mentioned it. You put on this super stellar performance at the Brisbane GT. 40-ish players. Um, some of the best uh, that Australia's got to offer were there. Uh, Eric Lathoris, uh, Denith, who we mentioned from the Normal Blokes. Um, j- um, who else? Liam Hackett uh, showed up with Guard. Just like a, uh, like a who's who for the, the Australian scene. So what did you bring to lay down so much hurt? What's kind of the highlights of your Chaos Demon list? Well, it, uh, it all started out with a snail. And I, I loved the model. I loved the way it looks. It's so comical. And then I thought, how can we make this work? Sorry, sorry. I just want to like jump in here. You're talking about Horticulus Slimex. Horticulus Slimex, the, uh, the gardener. I, I love yeah. my gardener. You got me excited. <laughs> I was testing out lists with uh, Horticus Slimus, and then um, I was doing a little bit of gaming with uh, Eric Lathuris, who is a fantastic uh, coach and helped me sort of uh, nail the list down to uh, the point where it finished at. Um, I had access to quite a lot of beast models, so I thought, you know, this is the best way to bring out the combo out of that snail, plus also add to the damage capabilities of the beast, um, already being a super resilient unit. But also they found themselves in a really good spot with an awkward number of wounds. Now we got five (laughs) wounds with a five up, five up. And, you know, every time you make that one little five up feel no pain, you're like, oh, you just wasted a melter shot, which I found sort of great success with, and also just players either over committing or under committing fire. And um, mm-hmm. that that's a sort of brief overview. And then basically what took a lot of time was to what, what to back the beast up with and what was the game sort of lacking. And there was a huge thing about objective secured, which the beasts don't possess, uh, which is help. You help mitigate that with the Nurglings, which are another really good unit in Ninth. Yeah. And uh, a Bloodletter Bomb, which uh, is my little point damage, but also it's my little, I can take an objective off an opponent and keep their primary score down for maybe one to two turns. And then basically I just keep slowly building my way up and uh, eventually shut my opponent out of the game. I'm going to say, like, watching you play, which, by the way, everybody, if you want, you can uh, check out um, Art of War 40K Down Under's uh, Twitch stream to catch um, two of Dan's games, I believe, um, from the event, uh, games four and five. And you could watch this. It looked like this like in this wave of inevitability that was walking across the table. Walduck did give you a little bit of a, a heart attack, I think, at one point with the amount of shooting he was putting out, but still, <laughs> it was just like... Every round, you'd move that extra like six, nine, ten inches, and it was like, like you're, they're not moving the rest of these guys. Like it's not happening fast enough. It was such oh. a cool thing to watch, <laughs> especially when you're being tremor shelled. I was like, beasts are slow. Yeah, but when they get tremor shelled, they're even slower. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, demons in general, they're, they're in a pretty interesting spot right now. We've seen a couple like really good results out of uh, Slanesh demons, um, the beasts of Nurgle like you brought. Uh, we've seen a couple times now. Um, but they can have some rough matchups. What was your toughest game at the event? Toughest game was definitely against uh, Hayden Waldock's um, Imperial Fist. Just due to that is it's making the decisions of what you can interact with and what you can't interact with. Now, he had two flyers, which I was like, I... I only had a Lord of Change, which 
I expect big things from that model in terms of dictating where my opponent puts the the, the bulk of his force to sort of mm-hmm. back uh, to take that Lord of Change either down or to stop him for the game. Um, with with that, I had to make a decision very quickly about uh, a good portion of his list I just couldn't deal with. Um, and I find that with demons, it's about uh, sticking to a game plan and just keeping on. Don't let your opponent sort of sway you off that game plan. Um, also, you know, demons are in a great spot with uh, with marines dropping and uh, the inclusion of devastator doctrines and things like that. I, mm-hmm. I just I could not outgun a marine list with uh, my chaos space marines, and I was like, well, if you can't beat them, do something different. And I thought invon saves aren't affected by AP, so let's go with that. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, and uh, and then when I started seeing points efficiency of beasts in terms of per wound plus Nurglings backing up, um, I saw you know if my opponent commits fire, how many turns of fire are they going to need to commit to take to remove these units? And then when you start throwing in things like warp surges, you start adding to that durability and also slowly edging your opponent out of the game. It feels a lot like the like Matt Morisoli and Jim Vessel lists that we saw in 8th edition, um, except you removed a lot of the smite power and just put it into even more durability, um, which I think is more critical in ninth, right? Yeah, um, well, with the, the, with the difficulty of smite increasing... Um, also, I I just don't roll well for psychic phases, so I've just kind <laughs> of I've kind of accepted that I don't roll well for psychic phases. So I moved on from that, and um, basically what I looked at was I can get damage output from certain units where I need to remove certain units from the game that can't be allowed to shoot me for too long, and then with that, uh, with the beast heroic intervention, I can sort of completely submerge myself on an objective, and my opponent. If they want to take, you know, five to eight beasts attacking them, they can try and contest that objective off me. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's what makes the custode list so strong is they can, you know, combine a, a unit that will sit on an objective, but they also have access to a heroic intervention through a strat. Yeah. And it makes it a very tough decision when you're playing against something like that, where you're like, do I have enough staying power to contest this objective off this person, or should I just let it go? Mm-hmm. So... In your game against Hayden, was there like a clutch moment that sealed the deal for you? Did you have like a unit MVP that was punching way above their weight? or? Uh, so I had a couple of disputes on that. So with, uh, with that game, uh, it was all in the preparation beforehand. And I have to do a huge shout out to my fellow team members in um, Art of War. Uh, for basically, I usually take raised banners. But in that game with such a diverse shooting list... If I took raised banners, he targets my infantry, and then I don't have the board presence to win that game. Mm-hmm. Um, he'll just remove my infantry, he can tremor shell the beast, and he just wins. Um, so what I decided to do was take uh, while we stand, and I forced him to t- start looking at targeting my characters. Now, I've been told that you know I could have been throwing away points by feeding him greater demons, but those greater demons were buying me time, and mm-hmm. I slowly was picking up objectives. The Plague Bearers performed very well, but there was a lot of CP spent on them in warp surging them to keep them alive. Um, you know, I, I had a very good phase of rolling for saving throws at the end, which turned the game. But in it, where the game started to swing for me and where I felt confidence was when I was controlling all four quarters and I the blood letters were keeping him off his objectives. So I could immediately 
calm myself down on primary and start focusing on my secondary points. That was um, one of the best games of 40K I think I've watched in a long time, if not ever. Um, so uh, for anybody at home, if you have a chance, like I really do recommend that game four of the Brisbane GT. If you can take a look at it on Twitch, I don't know if the Art of War guys are going to put it up on YouTube, but either way, it's a fantastic game to watch. Um, both players play their butts off. This isn't like it was a one-sided uh, affair by any means. Um, and yeah, you really pulled it off, man. Th- thanks for that explanation. Mate, thank oh, thank you, thank you so much for that because that was my first game on stream. I had, I had a, I had a, sh- I had a shaky hand. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, everybody's got a shaky hand on stream. Brandon Grant's got the shakiest hands on stream, but he talks so calm. He he, he doesn't really. That man's a robot. But everybody else. Anyway, <laughs> thanks so much for being on the show. Is there anyone or anything you wanted to shout out before we sign off? Um, I'll do a huge shout out to Normal Blokes for putting on the event. Um, to my teammates in Art of War, uh, thank you for the continued support um, and the amazing coaching system that Eric Lathuris has. Um, and I also want to shout out to my original club that got me started into the hobby, Dorchester Wargaming, who put me on the path and helped me get access to clubs such as Art of War to, for, for myself to improve as a player. Um, and a big shout out to all of you guys out there who are commenting, commentating and also keeping the game alive during this time when we're not exactly able to socially connect. Oh, man. Good words. Better words I don't think could be said. Thanks again and congrats. Thanks, mate. Thanks, Dan. Once again, such a pleasure to talk to you. This guy is just such a joy in this world of sorrow. I loved every minute of our conversation. Also, he was a big Warhammer Fantasy fan, and uh, so he immediately became my favorite person on Australia. Sorry, Adam Camilleri. Guys, if you want to catch any of the footage from this event, you can check out twitch.tv slash AOW40KDU, the Art of War 40K Down Under. Adam provided excellent tournament coverage throughout the event, along with my main man, Matt Morisoli, probably two of the best uh, color commentators that you're going to get for an event like this. I didn't even know that was the thing, and now I will definitely go back and watch some of it because those guys kick a whole lot of butt. Let's get a bump. Support for this podcast comes from Invent Together. According to studies, less than 13% of all inventors who hold a U.S. patent are women. Black and Hispanic college graduates patent at half the rate of their white counterparts. But we can fix that by increasing participation in innovation and patenting by underrepresented groups. It would quadruple the number of American inventors and increase annual GDP by almost $1 trillion. Invent Together is a coalition of organizations, companies, universities, and concerned citizens committed to ensuring that everyone has the opportunity to invent and patent. Because the more diverse the American patent system gets, the stronger and more successful our nation will become. What can you do to help diverse inventors patent and unleash economic opportunity? Find out at inventtogether.org. Learn more and take action today. Hello, this is Adam from Art of War Down Under, and you're listening to 40K Stat Center. All right, Pete, I want you to put on your finest black tie, ring that doorbell, and let's spread the good news about Red Rug Exterminatus taking place in Utah. Another GT, and just for our friend Pablo Martinez's sake over on Chapter Tactics, Pete, how big was the Red Rock Exterminatus? 32 players, just breaking that GT mold, but some of the best players you can find 
in Utah. In Utah. Uh, well, obviously, Rich Kilton won. No, unfortunately, Rich decided to take a day off, I guess. I believe he went three and two oh. with his uh, Death Skull Orcs. Really, Rich, uh, you, you let me down. I had you pegged for possibly taking it all, and you, you almost ruined it. You know, it. I would have assumed Rich would have gone like 6-0 and at a five-round tournament. Like, that's just what I've come to expect from Rich Kilton. Okay, so he had an off week. I'm shocked. I'm disappointed. But that's okay. He carries the mail. What else happened at the Red Rock Exterminatus? Red Rock was very interesting because of who did finish up in that top table event, uh, top table of the event. Unlike a lot of uh, a lot of places we've seen um, with uh, a lot of power armor involved, a lot of burly men in golden suits and stinky men that are dying of plague. Easy. Um, hey, Reese Robbins, let's calm down a little bit. <laughs> Red Rock Exterminatus featured a, t a top table that was Sisters of Battle, an army that everyone has known has been strong in 9th edition but really hasn't put up too many numbers to show it, versus Imperial Knights. What? Yes, so Evan Stump came into Red Rock running an Imperial Knight list um, with the added benefit of having, I believe, about 15 uh, Cerberus Raiders. Those really nasty little dog boys that make charges very difficult uh, for your opponent. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, he really went off on people for his first four rounds. It's an exciting list to see because Imperial Knights up until now have had a very poor edition. They've had a couple of people manage to go like four and one with them, uh, but not too, too many. Most Imperial Knight lists these days have been at the bottom of the barrel. Um, so to have a top table feature... Imperial Knights and Sisters of Battle in one go. Very cool to see. Now, that's not so bad. Now, of course, this is an Imperial Knights list that did uh, go mixed faction. Uh, have you noticed that at all? Like, have people attempting mi mixed faction Knights list, have have they had a little bit better luck, or is it just anything focused on Knights is struggling? I would say almost um, anything that has, has been focusing on Knights has struggled. But, yes, the, the one or two lists we've seen that have performed very well have managed to add at least some little extra layer of protection, whether it's uh, Tempesta Scions to get you some kind of deep strike and uh, screening. Was there something special about also maybe his path to the top table? Just for all those those Knights people out there who might be like, how the hell did this happen? For sure. So Evan's first matchup was against Dark Angels, um, the perennial worst faction in 40k, both in my heart and in my mind. Uh -huh. He then went up against a relatively standard, uh, actually, and by that I mean nowhere near standard, <laughs> the Pablo a, definition a, of standard. A traditional Pablo uh, list. Yes, uh, a Tau broadside list. Um, he then went into Jason McKenzie, um, who is a well-known Admech player, um, and managed to defeat him. That was probably what I would imagine was going to be his hardest matchup. A, a lot of uh, Castellan robots, a uh, number of Scorpius disintegrators in that list, Honor Dune crawlers. It definitely could have had his number, but he definitely, but he played around it. In round four, he goes into Death Guard with a number of Plague Marine bombs and uh, Plague Burst Crawlers, and uh, then he rounded it out in that fifth round against Sisters of Battle. Okay, Sisters of Battle piloted by... Jordan Gledhill. Yeah. So this is a very interesting list, and we're going to let Jordan talk more about it than I will, because it, he definitely has um, a really good grasp on how he feels Sisters should be played, and I would say... Like he's just such an educated person when it comes to the faction. Um, but just to give a quick overview, this is a threat-heavy list. 
He does give himself the option to reserve uh, some repentia if he feels he needs to, but looking at it dead on straight, this is a 100% a, I'm going to put everything on the line, and no matter what you kill, I will probably have enough stuff left to murder you back if I have to go second. Not too bad. And we all appreciate a good classical Sisters of Battle education, so let's go swing it over to Jordan Gledhill. I have been playing Warhammer 40K since I was 18, which was 2005. That sounds right. Uh, I started playing because my uh, buddy's dad was playing fantasy at the time and was playing high elves. I love the minis. And I've been playing Sisters of Battle almost exclusively, at least competitively, for about the past two years since the index days. Some of the strategies, combos, uh, I tried to pull off. Basic sisters, to me, is basic sister stuff at this point. You know, resin characters where I need to hold it onto my CP. I only start with seven playable CP, oftentimes six, if I take the extra the extra tail on my Imagifier. Um, so I got to be careful with how much CP I'm spending. Uh, but the sister's character is getting back up, especially that Smash Cannon. As people will are willing to devote a fair amount of uh, attacks towards her once they realize what she can do. That that 55 points on her is absolutely worth the relic and the extra warlord trait. Uh, for me, anyway, she's just she 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 kills everything up to nine attacks at strength five, AP three, damage two, rerolling to wound. She just kills stuff, and then having on top of that the ability to reroll charge distances and tear them down. Uh, she took down knights in my last matchup against evan uh she took down one of the wardens and i believe she took down this she ended up being the killing blow on the final on the second warden as well um not to mention she picked up i don't know five to ten dogs by herself so she's just she's amazing and absolutely worth her points. I think every sisters player should run a Smash Cannon S if you have Bloody Rose. She's she's amazing. Uh I also can't complain during this tournament. My my dice were hot. They were doing really well. My four plus invulns were on point. Um being able to manipulate dice rolls through Miracle Dice or Moment of Grace is definitely useful. I use Moment of Grace exclusively for saves i don't know that i've ever used it to hit or wound i've only used it for saves um but it keeps stuff alive other things i try to do my seraphim just drop in uh yeah i don't i don't know it it's it's really a pretty straightforward list there's not a whole lot of tricks that it pulls off other than just get in your opponent's face and deal damage to them. My matchups were uh, Tyranids first. Uh, I went second against Tyranids. I was thinking I had misremembered at the end of the tournament. I thought I had gone first all five rounds, but I had gone second against Tyranids. Uh, I went second against Tyranids, and then first against Orcs. My buddy Rich. Uh, Rich is a really, really good player. He's the best player. Yeah, I, I, I think I think all our teammates agree. Rich is the best player on our team. Uh, I have never beat him uh, before, 
and we've never fought each other in a tournament either. So facing him round two was really daunting, uh, especially since I was playing with the new list for me and Rich was playing uh, Duskull Orcs. I had one obsec unit and he had every, everything everything in his army essentially is obsec except for his vehicles. And so I know that he could just hold the board from me. Um, I got first turn. I lined up on the line, pushed straight at him, and wished for the best. And it was a lot of back and forth. Uh, I'd grab objectives, and then he'd push him, push me off of them before I could score them. And then I'd push him back off of them before he could score them. And I think the final score ended up being 62 to 61 with me one point ahead. It was a fairly low-scoring game because neither of us were scoring points on primaries because we had to hold two. And the ones in the middle, we just kept keeping each other off of. Um, my Repentia did their job and just killed boys. My Mortifiers got into combat a little bit, but they were down pretty fast before they got to do much. Uh, and my characters started putting in work, getting, you know, getting back up. My Smash Cannoness as usual, wiping out war bosses and Mega Knobs. And at the end of the matchup, we were both down on time. Uh, we both pretty much clocked out down to the last minute, and I managed to pull it out at the very end. It was a great game and mentally exhausting for both of us, and uh, pretty uh, exhilarating to beat him in this setting. And uh, then I fought Grey Knights back to back, and both of the Grey Knights players had never fought Sisters of Battle before which gave me a big advantage because neither of them understood what Repentia could do. And I, you know, tried to kind of tell them, hey, Repentia, they kill stuff. And they they had heard of Repentia, understood an idea of what they did, but I don't think anyone, no one who's who hasn't faced Repentia understands exactly what they do until they face them. And then my last matchup against uh, Evan Stump, who's a phenomenal player, um, and actually has won the Red Rock tournament the past five years. Um, this was its sixth year, and he was going for six years in a row. I, I managed to knock him out. Um, but he was playing knights and dogs, and he knew what sisters could do. We had spent the last 20 minutes of our lunch on the first day talking to each other because we thought we were going to fight each other round two. Uh, we spent most of our lunch... Uh, talking about how we were going to fight each other and what we had to fight each other and who, how to do what. It was actually really cool to talk with him and discuss our lists and our strengths and our weaknesses. So by the, when we ended up on the top table, it was just really cool to be able to him and me fight each other. And uh, between the two of us, we had exactly one obsec unit and that was my five sisters. And it was, it was fun to be able to show that you don't need troops you don't need obsec in ninth edition to win if you can just kill everything your opponent has that that also ends up working pretty well thank you very much to jordan the thrill gladhill way to go winning it all in utah let's hit a bump tournament news this is danny and this is john from the mob rules podcast and you're listening to 40k stat center with val and his pet falcon peter 
Oh, thank you from the fellas over at Mob Rules, a podcast that I think is just really coming of age. It really is. Their um, worst character in 40K series is one of my favorites, I have to say. I've always had a good chuckle, and I've sent them probably eight or nine requests for um, the majority of the Dark Angels chapter, and they have not gotten (laughs) back to me. Guys, Asmodai is a super dick. I just want everybody to know, and I really hope they eventually cover him, because what an arsehole. Anyway. All right, this is supposed to be quick hits, and you have hit the Dark Angels enough in this episode, so let us move right along. We're going to we're gonna now circle the globe and cover some of the events that we not maybe given the full treatment, but we'd like to hear from anyway. Why don't we start down in New South Wales? Uh, there was a nice charity event, actually, that was happening, and for a little bit of insight on it and... Uh, a little description of his MVP. We've got longtime fan of the show, second place finisher, Forrest Castle. He's going to talk to us a little bit about his orc list and also what they were all there playing for. Hey, Footy Guest Stat Center. Thanks for having me on. We uh, ran this event on the weekend um, as a charity uh, run by uh, Down Under 40K League, run by Ben Dale. We ran this event for, uh, because a member of our league, uh, his son, unfortunately, was diagnosed with a rare form of leukemia. And so all the uh, prize, all the money was uh, put towards um, him and his son and their family. Uh, hopefully that we can make uh, life a bit easier for them. Uh, it was a great event and we are uh, really stoked to have been able to run this uh, for them. Uh, as for my list, uh, I had many great units that were uh, very valuable to me over the weekend, uh, but none more so than my three units of three Meganobs. Uh, their ability to sit on an objective when I needed them to, uh, just with nine wounds and a two-up save, uh, was incredibly valuable, but uh, also their ability to, uh, with a dance and charge, uh, run out and uh, kill something with some CP uh, that I really needed them to kill, uh, gives, me, gives my list a little bit of extra punch. Uh, in general... My list wasn't looking to kill um, all that much in my opponent's army, but um, if needed to, uh, the units of three Mega Knobs really did help with that. I also want to give a special thanks to uh, Callan and Jacob, uh, who uh, hosted the event and uh, put in their own special effort in running it also. I uh, couldn't have been done without them and their amazing uh, venue. Thanks a lot, Forrest. And, of course, as we mentioned, he did come in second, uh, rocking his orc list. Now, Pete, Forrest finished in second uh, with orcs. Also, in first place, though, was orcs Peter Zessel. What was he rocking? So Peter Zessen was rocking a list that is almost identical to the one Shane uh, Watts ran at the Labor Day GT, which we covered um, in extent last mm-hmm. week. Um, the only real difference here is he dropped, a, I believe, a couple of trucks and commandos in favor of a burner bomber because if that strat goes off, obviously everything dies. It's uh, a super good tech choice for orcs. But otherwise, you know, it looks like he's running about 120 uh, orc boys, all goths, with that big bad boy himself, Gazgul Thraka, walking behind them. Mm-hmm. Weird boy. Big mech and armor. It's a devastating list. It definitely can put out the pain if your opponent doesn't have enough shooting to deal with it. And uh, yeah, I'm not surprised at all that it would uh, notch a big win here in New South Wales. All right. And Forrest, of course, he also was running orcs, and we decided to highlight him a little bit because it was a you know bit of a different list. 
It was. It's it's a it's an exciting twist on this horde orc boy list, in favor uh, going in favor of like more MSU style and just flooding the board in a way where your opponent has to split fire to deal with it. Um, Forrest is an excellent player, super cool guy. I was so proud to see that he pulled off that second place uh, because uh, I have kind of watched him grow in this game over the last couple of years in 8th edition, so super exciting to see him have some success. And always great to see success for Du Bois, a 1-2 finish. <clears throat> a 1-2 finish. Um, okay, so next up uh, we've got... Fields of Blood, just a little shout out here. This was an unusual tournament, had a bit of something strange going on with his rankings. Yeah, so Fields of Blood, uh, New Zealand event. From what I hear, an awesome showing. Uh, Steve Joel from 40K Today was there. He gave me a, a lot of the insight as to what went on. So this was a battle points tournament rather than win-loss. So if you look at the results on 40kstats.com, I went by like who had the best win-loss rates, but really it's not reflective of how the games were actually played. Um, Michael Taylor playing Adeptus Custodes was the best general at the event. He did go 6-0, and and he did have the number one battle points. Um, I have Michael Stewart, a Raven Guard player, at 6-0 as, as second place, but because of the way they did battle points, in his, like, fourth and fifth rounds, he were play he was playing against people that were, like, 1-3, and 2-4, and, uh, uh, 2-3, and etc. Um, so not really indicative uh, of how that went out. Another thing about this event was when it was all said and done, they also added on paint scores and comp scores uh, to get a best overall mm -hmm. player. Um, so a unique way uh, to play the event. We've seen it definitely before. I just wanted to highlight them because, you know, custodians are boys and Michael Taylor pulling it off with a dreadnought list of all things. 100%. And we've got the Irish and the New Zealanders keeping the flame of battle points alive, much to the chagrin of Pablo Martinez. Okay, so I think that's all for our quick hit coverage. Let's wrap this up. Yeah, before we go, just want to reiterate, we do know that there were two other events that we haven't covered yet. West Coast Titans GT Part 2, which was uh, hosted by uh, Neil Kerr and the boys over in Sweden. We mm -hmm. do. We are planning on covering it next week. We haven't forgotten about you. And also nope. the San Antonio Shootout, which was, as we already mentioned, won by Death Guard. We do have interviews lined up um, with the winners from those two events. You will hear from them. We're just going to wait a week because there is just so much to cover. We wanted to get um, a good showing in this week. Yeah, for sure. And there's also uh, a little bit of a slower week next week. We, of course, we're never really sure what's going to uh, pop up on the schedule because, you know, COVID may have canceled things. But it looks like we might have a Fantasia fan fanatic coming at us from Sweden, one of our favorite regular events on the show. So we'll have some of that. Uh, hopefully covered, uh, covered next week. Maybe even another thing down in New South Wales. Um, and something perhaps in the very confusingly called Cleveland, Tennessee, probably the better Cleveland, I would bet. Uh, given what I've seen of Cleveland, Ohio, I agree. So uh, why don't we uh, tell the people what else they could listen to this week? Sure. So over uh, on our little sister and brother podcasts on the uh, Frontline Gaming Network, we had Matt Morisoli and Adam Camilleri wax poetic about chaos in ninth edition over on 40 K mm -hmm. down under, mm -hmm. um, over on the art of war. We had, uh, a chaos strategy when it comes to team events with Ines Wilson, chatting it up with Nick Nadavati and John Damaris and chapter tactics, uh, did go over some of the results from the weekend themselves. Um, however, never as good as we are because I am way more handsome and that's really all there is to it. That is, in fact, all there is to it. It's all that matters. And probably as we're recording, our pals, Reese and Frankie, live to air on three different platforms now. You can be catching them on Twitch, YouTube, 
And probably another one? Probably another one. Maybe maybe Twitter? Spotify? Could be. I don't know. Whatever it is, Reese has never heard of it. So, I think that's about all that there is to say today. I think this has been a fun show. I appreciate you coming along for the ride, Pete. Thanks, Val. I always enjoy our times together, no matter how brief or long they are. That's right. And they always feel just unbearably long. And speaking of unbearably long, 200 episodes in a row. Rob Symes, Honest Wargamer, The Stream Streak, episode 200. Next Tuesday, tune in live on Twitch, and you will see Pete and I with our probably, I don't know, 15th ish 40k adjacent show it's going to be a lot of fun tune into that tell robbie's a good guy because he's definitely insane there's going to be green screens we're going to use some green screens maybe i don't know i mean i got one why not let's do it pete anything else to say bye-bye this has been 40k stat center a presentation of the frontline gaming podcast network like what we do subscribe to and rate us on youtube and wherever podcasts can be found join the conversation follow 40k stats center on facebook you can also support the show directly by joining the chapter tactics patreon and competitive 40k in general via the itc patreon or by grabbing a subscription to bcp 